It's April 6th, 1996, and Champagne Supernova by Oasis <laughs> is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. I'm Trev. I'm Al, and this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Champagne Supernova, the fifth single from Oasis's second album, What's the Story, Morning Glory. What is the story, Morning Glory? <laughs> I got Champagne, it Champagne Supernova spent five weeks at the top of the Modern Rock chart. Here's a clip. Someday you will find me company the landslide in a champagne supernova, a champagne supernova in the sky. Wake up the dawn. Hey, welcome back. We're uh, doing another Oasis episode, and uh, with us today is oh, a guest. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we got our our British friend Sarah, or is it is it? Do, would they say would they say Sarah in <laughs> British, or is that maybe British. like more like what they'd say in Spain? Yeah, um, I don't know. I do a terrible anyway. British accent for someone who's really into British culture. Yeah, yeah so. we'll we'll spare people, I guess. <laughs> well, Sarah, why don't you, since we have already talked about Oasis in the Wonderwall episode, can you tell us a little bit about how you feel about Oasis in general? Yeah, I mean, I feel very strongly about Oasis. Um, as we will talk more later in the episode, I feel like Oasis was the... Uh, Gosh, the entry point into uh, Britpop for me, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes when we talk about an entry point, we mean something that we initially got our foot in the door and then we didn't care for it as much later. Um, Is that implied here or are you still big on Oasis? To be fair, I have not listened to as much Oasis as I used to in the 90s and probably early aughts, but... uh, I mean, I don't have any negative feelings, especially revisiting Champagne Supernova and pretty much the entire, well, Be Here Now gets a little, eh, but everything before that is pretty solid. Yeah. Sarah, when you say that it was your entry point, um, was it Wonderwall or was it before that or after that? Yeah, it was definitely Wonderwall. Yeah. And then Don't Look Back in Anger. And then the whole album, I bought it from yeah. there. I remember my fifth grade music teacher in music class would always have parts of the class where we could share uh, music we liked. And I remember someone shared Oasis even before I did. And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. <laughs> so, 
So yeah. had had you been a Beatles fan or any other like like sixties kind of British rock stuff when you were a kid before you got into Oasis? Yeah, it's funny. Not so much the Beatles. My dad was a Rolling Stones guy and a Bowie guy. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it was an anti-Beatles household, but I didn't listen to much Beatles until probably college. Yeah, so. Um. Well, we talk about Champagne Supernova. Trav, how, how did you feel about Champagne Supernova this time around? Uh, I, I felt like it was good. Um. It, it's kind of uh, somewhere in the middle of the singles from the album for me. Um, it's cool. Uh, it's long. Uh, the solo is, I don't know, can we call it a solo or just a lead in between the verses? Talking, or the, the best. Yeah, that's good. The best, like literally the best guitar lick of all time. I can't think of anything I would rather play when I grab a guitar. <laughs> Like I grab a guitar and I'm playing that riff. It's, it's so slick yeah. and so sweet. And man, I love that part. That is the best part of the song for me. Um, I, I was really impressed with um, the arrangement and the recording. Um, you know, we talked about how rich the album sounded last time when we talked about Wonderwall. And um, I think that really hit me this time around, especially with Champagne Supernova, that it was so layered and there were so many cool things happening with it. There's the melodica, there's, you know, the percussion, sort of like different levels of percussion happening. What that, percussion um, is there? I, didn't I mean, there's that. like the, uh, the tambourine, right? That's very like stiff hmm. happening throughout. Uh, maybe not entirely throughout, but um, y- yeah, it was something that you could kind of latch on to and then um, kind of disappear into and then forget the rest of the song and then get back into the rest of the song. Um, boy, I sound like I'm speaking nonsense right now. <laughs> but <laughs> No, it actually makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I was thinking of that song is that I think it's intentional. Um you know, it's a very druggy, psychedelic song in some regards, and I think that was probably intentional to kind of get lost in it. Like, you're lying mm-hmm. on your bed and just listening to it and getting different things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's exactly right, and I think there is something psychedelic about it, and I wonder if it's the like the descending kind of chromatic chord progression happening where it's like, you know, the bass is just like kind of walking down through the progression for, for the most part. You can really get way. lost in the length, too. Like, uh, there was a time when I sort of became conscious of the fact that when I heard that guitar solo, that I always thought that the song was ending. But actually, a lot of the time I hear that and then I realize, oh, no, we're like halfway through mm-hmm. the song. Because mm-hmm. that happens at least twice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, I think maybe just twice. But. It happens twice. And I believe that there is an actual solo, um, like a kind of a noisier solo. Um, oh yeah, but oh, yeah. between the two, yeah, 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 yeah. It also has that. It has the magic harmony at the in the outro. They start all start going. Oh yeah. They start doing that over and over again. Quill, how did you feel this time around? 
Well, uh, you know, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that I used to hate this song. And uh, I think, uh, you know, listening to the album um, for Wonderwall, I was like, I think I mentioned like, oh, I I was kind of surprised by uh, how much I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I I think it slaps. I think it's awesome. Um, I think the melodies are great. Um, yeah, agreed on the, the guitar lick is incredible. Um, it's, it hits like a sentimental sounding, like kind of sweet spot for me. Um, uh, it's weird that it makes me feel nostalgic for a time when I didn't like this song. Mm -hmm. Um, but Mm -hmm. it does. Um, and, uh, yeah, great performances all around, um, yeah, Trev, you mentioned Melodica as the one, uh, the yeah. part, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I used to think it was Harmonica. That makes sense. When I was a kid. Yeah. And I know in the video it's Melodica. And like when I watched the video, I was like, oh, totally. Before that, I wondered if it was a, a guitar with an uh, effect, like mm-hmm. a flange effect oh, or something. Oh, wow. They just have super heavy distortion and produce that sound. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, at the end, when it's playing at the very end of the song, it, like, it slides down. So I wonder if it's actually guitar. Um, or, like, a guitar is playing that part as well as a melodica. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, that's a, a great uh, little... little uh, uh, piece of the song and uh, yeah yeah it's uh, it's great it's a totally great song uh, yeah I won't say anything about the lyrics yet uh, yeah oh I was no just go say for it oh, yeah oh, we'll wait for it yeah oh uh, they're <laughs> I I mean what uh, you know what what do you all think is going on there uh, I mean I'll I'll start I guess I I I guess I can derive some sort of like uh, um like FOMO kind of vibes, like fear of missing out, hmm. like on, you know, uh, meaningful experiences or even like interactions with like people or friends or something so like you, that. So you, you feel like the Gallaghers are missing out on someone else's good experience while they're getting high? Like they're the ones who are or, missing or, out? Or no, they're wondering why like other people are missing out on their like okay. positive experience. Yeah. Um, also, I don't think the lyrics make very much sense in the grand scheme of things. Ooh. That's actually intentional. I was reading about how um, Noel Gallagher said that the song is really about nothing. Mm-hmm. But there is the sentimentality, I think, mm-hmm. that was intentional. And I have a lot more to say about that theme, about the band overall, but it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a. I mean, I could read a long excerpt from a 1995 interview with Noel Gallagher. I mean, it's almost all gold. But he says it means different things when I'm in different moods. So when he's in a bad mood, getting caught beneath the landslide is a bad thing. Um, he starts talking about the Sex Pistols and the Clash and how they didn't accomplish anything, and that the song is about them. Um, he, he goes on and on. Uh, and then, of course, he has some, some wise words like, uh, and then I couldn't think of anything that rhymed with Hall apart from Cannonball. So I wrote, 
slowly walking down the hall faster than a cannonball. And people were like, wow, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly like the crux of everything, right? Yeah. It's such like it it's it's such a dumb like contrast, but it's also awesome. Like it just works really well. That's how I feel about it. Um and I think it kind of ties back into like uh you know, I think you know, it said like Wonderwall, the the lyrics don't have a lot of like meaning, but they're really great at writing lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like like you hear champagne supernova and everybody thinks slowly walking down the hall faster than a cannonball. Um, and it's, it's great. It works really well. It's very like a vivid imagery Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, yeah, I, I just really, again, sort of impressed with their ability to write great nonsense lyrics that seem, uh, seem important. There's like a melancholy to this mm-hmm. this song that Definitely. I've always felt, um, and you can't really like pinpoint it, but that's that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, I always hear something that's sort of self destructive in the chorus. Like someday you'll find me, and I will have basically like ruined myself. Um, that I don't know. It's an interesting idea. I I, I definitely hear a lot about self destruction in the song. My one because I don't. If, if you were to ask me about my favorite songs on What's the Story, Morning Glory, I think it would take quite a while for me to get to this track. And I think my number one thing about it is I think it works a lot better as an album closer than it does as a single. Like, if I'm at the bar and I hear this song, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure that it, like, does that much for me. But at the end of What's the Story, Morning Glory, it's like a wind down and, like, a it's almost like a Fillmore Jive situation on... Uh, crooked rain crooked rain it's like just like a big epic that kind of just you know just winds the album down i think it's great and i love i love the 30 seconds of this song as everything is fading out the chords are starting to resolve the acoustic guitar goes like slightly different chords at the end and the melodica um like it kind of lingers before it goes Mm -hmm. um and there's that like there's there's like a waterfall maybe happens in there you hear flowing water, maybe. I think there is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Martin and Singer and great, too. great uh, acoustic nice guitar. Uh, oh yeah. Or, sorry, great uh, lead guitar. Yep. Um, yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I love the end of the song. I I will say, Al, maybe that you you put it so perfectly. Like that might be what sold it for me. Uh, is you know, listening to it in the context of the album, that mm-hmm. might be what hooked me on it. Um, I might agree with you that it's, I mean, it is like a very, I think it's, despite its length, um, I think it's a very immediate, easy to like song. I was telling Sarah um, earlier this week that I questioned why I never liked it in the first place. Um, like it's so immediate and just blatantly easily likable, I think. Um, as a as as a young Christian boy, still, did you were you disturbed by the drug references? I think I probably uh, maybe was. A smidge, yeah. Maybe a smidge. All right, I cut you off. Though. Yeah. Um. No, that's okay. I I also wanted to say back to um like the length. Uh, I agree with you, Al. That um it goes by pretty quick. Like I, uh, I have no issues with it. You know, 
the album version being what seven and a half minutes like mm-hmm. i i don't mind i don't normally i mean there are some long songs that i really like of course but i generally prefer shorter songs and um this is a long one that i think is really good i think it just goes by like in a blink of an eye it's very uh yeah yeah so the single edits a little over five minutes and I mm-hmm. I don't I'm not positive that I've listened to it, but I'm assuming the music video is probably the single version. The video oh, it is, is the okay. Album then yeah, yeah, I actually haven't. Yeah. I I didn't actually research the single version to see what's missing. I doubt that I would really notice. Yeah, I don't like it. It feels too short because mm. I think the interesting thing about Champagne Supernova to me is like. It's the most repetitive song that I never want mm, to end. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. like it's just like, ugh. I think the uh, the ending of the vocals, uh, like the we were getting high, we were getting high, we were getting high, we were getting high. Like that could go on for like. Yeah, that's a that's a key move on this album. During the Wonderwall episode, I was talking about the uh, I think I've got a feeling I'm lost inside at the end of Roll With It. Like I could just I could listen to that for days and days. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, Hey Now has a similar ending. Um, Yes, definitely. Some might say with Champagne Supernova. Uh, with Champagne Supernova, the um, like just the the slight change in the melody for like the third time Mm -hmm. of saying we were getting high is like such a sweet move that that's what, what makes it special for me. Yeah. The only other thing that I was going to mention and I, I didn't research it, so I don't have anything to say about it was Paul Weller of the jam appears for guitar and background vocals on this song. Uh, anybody listen to the jam? Anybody make a connection between them and Oasis? Yeah, that is, curious to me and I have not actually listened to a ton of the jam I've liked what I've heard um but I definitely need to go back there and I just don't particularly see the connection other than that maybe Paul Weller liked Oasis and wanted to be a part of this but from what I've heard of the jam it's an interesting collab (laughs) to me I'm unfamiliar with the jam but uh I am familiar with Paul Weller's other band, The Style Council. Um, mainly the uh, My Ever-Changing Moods, the single version of that song is incredible. One of my favorite songs of all huh. time. Um, I think, Trav, you probably put it on a mixed CD for me. I'm pretty sure that's how yes, I was baby. introduced to that song. Um, in like 2007 or 2008 or something. Yeah. And uh, I haven't listened to that song actually in a long time. Um, but yeah, me neither. I, it's it, it's incredible. The album version is like a piano, like an upbeat kind of like only piano song. Um, but the single version is like cool, funky guitar, like corny, obnoxious horns that are just great. Um, it's like a really upbeat, like I don't know, like prefab sprout maybe kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's an incredible song. So that's that's what I know of Paul hmm. Weller. Yeah, uh, pretty much me too. Um, I would like um, I would add that "Long Hot Summer" by Style Council. I 
actually prefer to mm. my ever-changing moods. I think that's an A-plus single. Um, as far as the jam goes, um, I know the popular jam songs, and I think they're um, deservedly popular. Like, they're, they've earned their place. They're really cool. Um, I haven't really gotten too deep into, like, each of the specific albums and everything, but, like, the hits are hits for a reason, and I could see that sort of connection um, for Oasis. Um, I know they did sort of, like... <sighs> Maybe this is a good transition into the next section, for it. but, um, you know, they sort of like lean on the tradition of British rock in some ways. Like they seem to point it out. Like they always talk like uh, the Stone Roses album is always referenced by one of the Gallagher brothers as being like the greatest album of all time. And I could see them sort of looking to the jam in a similar way, saying like, this is a really important band because they were British and because they meant a lot to us growing up and things like that. And I think, was it Noel that was like a roadie for In Spiral Carpets? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, they had a, a hand, you know, Noel had a hand in sort of that whole process. Um, and so, um, yeah. I, 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 I do think that that's an important thing for Oasis as a band, though I don't necessarily see that coming through in What's the Story Morning Glory. I, I feel like that album transcends uh, the idea of like it being a British mm -hmm. album. It, it appeals so in, in such a wide way. You know, that's the reason it was it was successful in the U.S. was because it was such a um, a big anthemic album that uh was um uh it, it just it just appealed to so many different yeah. people yeah we'll get to this but i mean when you compare it to to blur and pulp it's like the britishness of oasis is practically non-existent <laughs> exactly yeah yeah um yeah yeah and i th i'll have a lot more to say but i think that's kind of by design and reflective of the uh the class that both Blur and Pulp and, well, Pulp is, okay, I'll get into that. But uh, I did want to just mention one other thing about the music video to Champagne Supernova. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, should, that, that, even really that's our next stop. That. So why don't you get us started? <laughs> go for it. Yeah, All right. Sarah, go for it. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I know Travis's thing is usually to say something about someone in the comments, but I think my favorite <laughs> comment was from... <laughs> On YouTube? Yes, on oh, YouTube. Please. From Pawnage PK1875. Liam looks like a cross between John Lennon and Steve Jobs in this video. <laughs> 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 Which is he totally does. apt. Um, but the <laughs> other fun thing about the music video that I discovered today, and I was just, it blew my mind, uh, was that the director, Nigel Dick, he also directed... Uh, baby One More Time and Oops, I Did It Again by Britney wow. Spears. <laughs> Whoa. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. It's a perfectly decent... So, that's great. It's a there perfectly decent music video. I mean, some of the silhouettes are kind of interesting. Yeah. The... Um, the psychedelicness of it is like very cliched. It's like very Austin Powers. They're sort of like, oh my god, that's exactly yeah, what I was yeah. just gonna say. It's also more subtle than it could have been. I feel like, like I feel like they, it could have yeah. been weirder. Or may but. maybe in the same way that it's Austin Powers, it's a little like Top of the Pops. Like here's some rotating mm -hmm. orange flower behind a girl dancing in some kind of London '60s fashion. Um, 
which does does nothing for me. Same. Yeah. Uh, I just. Is there a more is there a more British name than Nigel Dick? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, I just noticed. Yeah, I the Gallagher brothers look like John Lennon, like real hard, really. The circular glasses, both the sunglasses and the uh, regular glasses. Like, I I just, I don't know. Like, why? Like, why try to rip them so hard? Like, why to that degree? Like, it just blows my mind. It's like so blatant and obvious. Well, I think I think I, in the conversation oh, we're sorry. about to go into about Britpop at large, you know, it's that it's not just British pride; it's that Northern pride. Um, there's mm-hmm. a distinct split in these in these Britpop rivalries between the North of England and the South of England, and you know, it's like London and you know, shit town, uh, you know, um, Liverpool kind of, you know working class places. And um, I think that's one thing that Oasis wears really proudly is like, we didn't go to art school. We're not, you know, we're not your your fancy London intellectual boys like Damon Albarn. Gotcha. That makes sense. Should we, anything else about the video or should we just go into it? I'm good. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, go for it. Well, the only other thing I was going to say about uh, Champagne Supernova is that I did today revisit a uh, performance of Champagne Supernova they did at the 1996 uh, MTV Video Music Awards, and it was just a perfect encapsulation of the the chaos between the Gallagher brothers. At one point, Liam is like mocking uh, Noel's guitar solo and making all kinds of like profane gestures. Like you can tell he's totally annoyed (laughs) by the guitar solo. And then, uh, shoot, who was the MTV VJ? Uh, Why am I forgetting his name? He looks like Flea. John Sensio. John Norris. John Norris. (laughs) He did like a walk and talk interview with the, band on the way to the the venue where the award show was and it was just the most insufferable douchey again encapsulation of the Gallagher brothers like they are just absolute assholes (laughs) that sounds awesome I when I think of Oasis and MTV I think of the unplugged performance did you watch that when it was happening yes yeah that was really something so that was Liam backed out at the last minute and Noel did the whole thing by himself and Liam sat in the rafters and watched (laughs) that's incredible yeah (laughs) I think Noel I I, I think Noel relished that because he got a chance to show like you know I can do it all oh absolutely yeah Yeah. no it's not it's it's not as compelling when he does it but Well, um, the reason why we we asked Sarah to join us for this episode is because she's a big Britpop fan, and I think the rest of us have only really dabbled in Britpop. So um, rather than going forward and talking about Be Here Now, um, which I think you know we're all kind of lukewarm about, um, 
we decided to just look at the the bigger world of Britpop. We thought that this would be a good time to bring in uh, some conversation about Blur. So we asked Sarah to choose a couple albums for us, and she sent us a playlist that we can share. Can we share that playlist? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just go into a broader thing about Britpop. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up stumbling into this niche interest? <laughs> well, yeah. So I was definitely into Oasis. You know, I started with What's the Story and then got into Definitely Maybe. But at the time, I that was about it, right? Like, I kind of stuck to those two albums, really liked them. What really got me down the rabbit hole, actually, wasn't until the tail end um, of the Britpop area, if you will. And uh, it was The Verve, actually, mm-hmm. that got me way into... Uh, Britpop and British music in general. Um, I was like obsessed with Bittersweet Symphony and Urban Hymns. Um, just went totally down that catalog. And that kind of brought me back to Oasis and then the Stone Roses. And then Song 2 came around and yeah. self titled. So you and, and I, you I and went I have, down the rabbit hole there. You and I have gushed over the Verve before. Uh, I think the thing that a lot of people don't know is if you go back in time with the Verve, they actually, I mean, would you describe them as almost shoegaze on like a storm in heaven? Or, I mean, they're yeah, definitely like psychedelic shoegaze. They don't yeah. sound, I was telling Aaron the other day, the Verve sounds like nothing to me in a lot of ways. Like they don't sound like anyone else. They're pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you heard song two, um, I think a lot of us got that Blur album and we're like, what the H is all this? Like, this doesn't sound anything like song two. Um, you were able to overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially when I started listening to the rest of the catalog, I, I don't know what it was. I just, I became obsessed with the quirkiness and the British culture and, uh, yeah, I don't really know what it was. <laughs> was it because you invested nineteen dollars in a CD and you were just like, "Hey, I'm stuck with this. I got to make it work." <laughs> yeah, well, the other, that's I think what, the other... you know that, that I think that's like an important sort of factor in like buying CDs in the '90s and everything like that. I don't know. 100%. This is your identity now. You spent your allowance, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think the other thing too is I was it because I was a nerd. Um, I liked listening to the Emerson College radio station, which is like one of the best because Emerson College is a great, you know, arts and broadcasting school in Boston. And uh, there was a show called British Accents, and it was a Britpop show that happened every, I think, Sunday from two to five. And that kind of also just got me obsessed with British music and Britpop for sure. So that's kind of where I discovered Pulp and Suede and some of the other ones. Yeah. So um, you chose two albums for us. What made you choose these two albums? I mean, they kind of are the most obvious. (laughs) I would actually say that, and we were talking about this earlier to Aaron and I, if I were to choose a pulp album, it would probably be his and hers is my favorite. But I think 
different class, and then park life. Um, you know, it's just, they were the kind of the two signature albums that rocketed both of the albums, uh, or both the bands, um, mm-hmm. you know, to like Britpop royalty. Um, and the interesting thing about Pulp is that they come off very kind of in the same vein of Blur in terms of being a bit more academic and quirky. But they have a chip on their shoulder in a way that Oasis does because Pulp was actually from Sheffield in Northern England. Oh, okay. I always assumed they were a London band. Yeah, you do. Um, But I think what inspired different classes that Jarvis Cocker moved to London, I think, after his and hers and just kind of became obsessed with like, yeah, just like the class and, you know, um, how rich London was comparatively to Northern England. And so that album is kind of a thesis on, uh, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I Thanks for that explanation. I, I didn't know that. Sarah, was there anything that alienated you about all of the alternative rock happening in the U.S. at the time? Because there was also like, you know, like in 94, 95, when when these albums were coming out, we had, you know, Pearl Jam and Hole and Live and Stone Temple Pilots and all of these bands that were having like these massive hits. But it sounds like you really seem to identify with the the British bands that were um, more prominent at the time. And was it like... Um, was it something like specific that, that drew you in there or what was it? I don't even know. I mean, I, I do think, um, my dad introducing me to Ziggy Stardust growing up, you know, which in a lot of ways, like a very British glam rock album. Um, I think that that was maybe part of like why, I didn't really get into American, you know, like alternative rock at the time. Like I listened to a lot of pop music and I did like a lot of one hit wonders. But uh, yeah, it just never really resonated with me at the time for some reason. Did your dad also uh, push the Beatles on you or what? No, because he was a Stones guy. Mm. I think I... Um, I remember checking out Beatles CDs from the library. And again, I liked it, but uh, I never really kind of appreciated them until college. Yeah, I don't know. It was just like I collapsed onto Oasis and then, uh, you know, the Verve. And then for some reason that just got me really into British culture and everything kind of fell in there. Yeah, I was also no- like a history geek too. Oh. So, yeah. That is, I mean, you know, Ziggy Stardust is pretty British. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, when you get familiar with something like that, it makes it a lot easier to digest, you know, the things that come after it. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. That's good. Yeah. So uh, let's do Park Life first, and then we'll talk about different class. Um, Quill, what's been your experience with Park Life? Yeah, I mean, this was my uh, first time digging in um, in its entirety. Uh, Sarah has uh, put uh, blur songs on and stuff on playlists or, you know, when we're driving. Uh, 
when we're driving, uh, sometimes she likes to DJ. Um, well, like I'm driving and she'll just like, you know, spontaneously pick songs in Spotify. And um, it's usually either uh, Britpop leaning or shoegaze leaning. Um, and uh, sometimes hip hop. And um, so I've heard like a number of uh, songs from Park Life that way i think what was the one that i mean girls and boys obviously uh was a song that i was familiar with from i mean i i believe that song was on 89x um probably was it definitely charted decently yeah i don't remember hearing it on the radio but it charted decently and then actually no the the stuff that i recall you like the specific songs i remember you putting on uh when when we listen to music um the way i described uh are from modern life is rubbish um oily water and i think she's so high from ledger you've played for me before um so so anyways park, park life was pretty new to me um i it was probably a bit too long um and top heavy i think um for me mm-hmm. um it uh it sounded more like you know i i own um the self-titled album which seems to lean a little bit more towards american rock obviously song two but um even like beetle um mm-hmm. and uh what's the one um uh Country Sad Ballad Man, which I love. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. Sounds like pavement. Um, and this is more, Park Life sounded more like Stone Roses to me. Um, big shimmering guitars. Um, and some jams. Uh, Tracy Jacks is like awesome. I love that song. You too, Trev. Yeah, uh, I know Alec doesn't. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I used to hate that song. Uh, I love Tracy, um, Tracy but Jones. I I'm 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 okay with it now. I love it. The it, it's so strange and uh, yeah. Um. to a bunch of their albums and i think i compiled uh enough songs that i can make like a 14 song album for me (laughs) and i think that uh, i'll be content with that um uh i think the best thing i heard was uh maybe tracy jacks (laughs) (laughs) um and bad day from leisure uh i really really like the earlier stuff um leisure and um why are you saying leisure fancy man <laughs> i'm assuming it's that's how they pronounce it's it it's leisure uh, <laughs> this is this is america this is the midwest you could say leisure 
<laughs> We're talking about Britpop, dude. Oh, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is leisure. Continue. Um, <laughs> on Modern Life is Rubbish and Leisure, they sound like uh, XTC to me. Like they're like XTC yeah. sounded yeah. like a, a real. I, yeah. I, I think there's a, a major XTC influence yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's funny that you say you don't hear that in Park Life because I hear that mm. all. I hear XTC all over Park Life, too. Maybe on Tracy Jacks, I hear that for sure. Yeah. I, Park Life sounded more like Stone Roses to me. Wow. For sure. That blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Trav, you and I have, have gushed over Blur self titled, 13, and Think Tank. Oh. Although I have a I have a tormentship with Think Tank, but ah. there's there's also a lot of love there. Oof. But um, so this is you haven't really done a lot of early Blur exploration, have you? Not really. So how did Park Life hit you? It was it was fine. Um, you know that's <laughs> it's right in the middle. You know, um, I think like Quillen described it very well. Um, I think I pretty much agree with everything he said. It's very top heavy. It's too long. Um, I think the first four songs are amazing. It's a great one, two, three, four uh, intro. Um, I think maybe the debt collector is terrible. Is that think, right? Is the debt collector like not just instrumental? the instrumental? Yeah. 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 Accordion yeah, and soprano saxophone. <laughs> oh, they didn't God. have to do that. They didn't have <laughs> yeah. to do that. I guarantee that, mu- that you must that... be a split between side A and side B. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm sure that say, was Sarah? a Graham Coxon thing because mm-hmm. uh, he's definitely. I don't know if you've listened to any of his solo stuff, but a little it is bit. Very strange. Okay. Um, a lot more American influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Graham, Graham Coxon but like, is responsible for Coffee and TV, which is. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, best really? Blur song. Does he sing song? it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, he, he does? does. Oh, that that's I, I didn't even mention that. That's the best song. Yeah, for D- sure. yeah. Damon sings yeah. the verses, but or the that chorus, makes sense. Yeah, but, okay, uh, okay, Graham's okay. On the verses, cool. Yeah, um, yeah. You mentioned, you know, okay. So Graham Coxon is he's probably one of the first lead guitarists that I ever loved, and I think of him very much in relation to. What I call the last three albums, I know they came out with an album, what, 10 years ago or maybe less than that. I still think of Think Tank as the final Blur album. It's not a puritanical thing. It's just the way that I think about it. But Mm -hmm. um, on those last three albums, you know, Graham Coxon plays the guitar and it doesn't sound like a guitar. You know, he easily (laughs) sounds like he could be playing guitar in Radiohead or something like that. Yeah. Um, And when I listen to this album... I've never owned this album because I, I've just never quite gotten over some kind of hump with it. And I was trying to articulate what it was. I I owned the two disc blur best of, which is actually fantastic. It's totally, yes. it's totally a great survey of like everything that blur did well throughout their whole career. Um, I think that it ends with 13, but um, there I, I hear on park life, Rather than hearing a pop band that has some like weird choices, I hear a weird band that hasn't figured out it can just be weird yet. Like I, f- I hear a weird band that is trying to force sort of like a pop structure onto their songs. I think if you listen to, um, gosh, let's see, uh, London Loves, the guitar is like 
firstly, there's a crazy chainsaw guitar solo, which is something that Graham Coxon does a lot later on. But the guitar is like really ornate. I mean, weird chords in these songs, off-putting chords. And in a pop context, I don't think that they work very well. But I hear like, as soon as Blur is willing to sort of shed some of this pop shell that they're in, you know, I hear how they're going to turn into like an art rock band, which I think is really, truly personally, I think that's what really, truly blur is. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of that's just, it's just my bias for the later stuff, the pavement stuff. I mean, I think Damon Albarn himself has said, you know, the, the self-titled was the album that they did when they got into pavement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so many of my own personal biases are there, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I other than this, the kind of the singles, um, I like This Is A Low a lot. That's the only other song oh, yeah. that hasn't really yeah. been mentioned. But um, some of the songs I find positively obnoxious. Clover over Dover, over and over. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think it's Bank Holiday. Is that the punk one? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I can't stand that. Um, Sarah, are there other Blur albums that you like better than Park Life? So yeah, I think Modern Life is Rubbish I might like a little more because it feels well, it's definitely the precursor to Park Life it feels a bit more earnest and less try hard to me but I also just like Oily Water so much so maybe that's why I, uh I'm so biased on that record. Um, but yeah, no, I, I hear all of this, what you've had, what y'all have had to say about Park Life. <laughs> um, one thing I didn't know though is, uh, do you know who does the, the French, um, in to the end? I think I do. So Letitia Sadler. Ding, ding, okay. ding. Yeah. I, I actually yeah. didn't know that. Um, uh-huh. So that was a new discovery. Yeah. Yeah. She's from Stereo Lab, yes. listeners. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear the words that you said. Uh, I, yeah. 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 Said like the um, French spoken word in the background. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of leisure? Oh. <laughs> so I think. Stop saying. Yeah, leisure and modern life are like the early blur. I think I really like a lot because leisure has a little almost shoegaze. In there, yeah, like you can definitely mm-hmm. see a little bit more of that stone roses and shoegaze, yeah, sure. um, which I think they've yeah, openly a lot of admitted. Stone roses. Yeah, um, the singles from uh, Les Yeux, um are so <laughs> good, right? Yeah. Like uh, she's so high is amazing. There's no other way. Amazing, like those two songs especially, yeah. like especially like like going up until that that. Um, pavement era like uh, the self-titled forward the best singles for me are she's so high there's no other way and uh charmless man uh from the great escape yeah which is amazing um and some of the singles that we've mentioned from park life tracy jacks is great too i would include that there um i'm not familiar with modern life is rubbish uh enough to say like it just seems like an album full of like album songs like nothing's jumped out at me. I'm really excited to check out Oily Water and like pay pay close attention to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I really I know like that their singles are so good. Too, okay. On okay. that record. Yeah. Cool. Oily Water is awesome. I feel like it has a cool guitar effect and chord progression that you would, um, that would be up your alley, Jeff. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. I, I may have possibly been mixing up my, maybe thinking Lies Here is the Stone Roses <laughs> referencing album Definitely. and Modern Life is Rubbish and Park Life being more XTC. I may have just yeah, been mixing up I, my. My album. I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah, Um, but Alec made me a playlist of um, Blur songs from probably self-titled forward, and it was extremely helpful in coming to understand what that band was. It really became a different band at that point, mm -hmm. like from that point forward. Um, And I love, deeply love, uh, like everything they put put out. between the self-titled album 13 and think tank um i don't know what's my favorite between think tank and 13 but those are like some of my all-time favorite albums now i couldn't get into 13 i was like i I was expecting when i realized coffee and tv i thought coffee and tv was on park life (laughs) Um, oh wow and when i realized it was on 13 i was like oh and this is after self-titled so i have a feeling that this album is going to kill me and i yeah i i I, coffee and tv is incredible and uh uh yes b-l-u-r-e-l-u-r-e-m-i is good but that yeah that was really it for me yeah that kind of surprised me i because i thought you would like 13 and i love 13 this is also one one yeah yeah so I yeah. Could grow. So, Quill, one thing that I would say about 13 is uh, okay, I'm going to make a movie reference that I know you'll understand. Do you fall asleep every time you watch Mahal and Drive? Because I do. No. Okay, I fall asleep every time I watch Mahal and Drive, and it does not detract from the experience whatsoever. And 13 is the same way. I got that album and I listened to it on a disc man while I was like on a school trip and there was a charter bus and I would just fall asleep in and out. And it almost like enhanced the experience that it was just like, it's such a spacey album and the songs are long and druggy. And my favorite song, my favorite song on 13 is a song called 1992. And it's just a slog. I mean, it's like, it's maybe a, a minute of actual song, and then it's just a loop of like delay and repeating minor guitar chords that are really dreary, and uh, it's utterly unique, I think. But um, and then I know Trav and I we we've talked a lot about Think Tank because it has some of my absolute most hated Blur songs and some of the absolute most brilliant Blur wow, songs. Wow, that's a great uh, description of that album because I feel the I, same way. I mean. Crazy beat, I cannot, I I can't understand. It's so astoundingly idiotic. Yeah. But everything, for me, like everything else is perfect. I can't believe yeah. such a bad single would be on such an incredible album. And that almost makes yeah. it more appealing to me. Like, I can't mm-hmm. think of any other examples like that. Like, a terrible al- a terrible single with like on a great album? Like, usually it's vice versa. And, mm-hmm. uh Yeah. I love everything else on Think Tank. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I love Jets. I love 
re- Moroccan Revolutionary oh, People's yeah. Bowls mm, Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's that? There's a three song stretch that involves jets. Uh, jets that's gene just... by gene and battery in your leg. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All three, and I think there might even be one before that. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, there's sweet song and good song, <laughs> right. both on yeah, that the record. Song titles and those are Think Tank are great. Yeah, yeah they're both incredible. Yeah. Sarah, how do you like The Great Escape? You know, I I want to like <laughs> The Great Escape because I kind of do like the Universal. I think it's a nice. Blur mm-hmm. ballad. I like the strings, but I never could get into it um, as much as mm-hmm. anything else for some reason. Um, and in fact, I was reading that like Damon Albarn feels the same way. Like they hate that album because <laughs> they kind of were like, it's it, the vibe I got is that they were just kind of forced to release another album that sounded like Park Life, but maybe a little bit more expansive. And it's not as earnest. It feels forced. Yeah. Do you think he loves all the Gorillaz albums that he made? (laughs) (laughs) I think Damon Albarn has remained a consistently cool uh, explorer. I'll I'll swear by Plastic Beach. Plastic Beach, I think, is awesome. Really? Yeah. Oh. There are some very cool gorilla songs. And I think that Molly music thing that he did was kind of cool. Where he went to West Africa and just, just kind of recorded, oh, of made field recordings did. and then based songs what on What about them. the good, the bad, and the yeah. queen? Yeah, I didn't really yeah, pay I much attention either. to that. Yeah. That was with There's another uh, Tony one Allen, the drummer for Fela Kuti. Is that right? Oh. Might be. And I, someone- he's got it just... Just in general, he's got a big West Africa yeah. fascination. Someone from The Clash is in it, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I don't you're re- right. I don't remember who. Hmm. I can see how it's sort of like End of a Century Part 2, but I think Charmless Man on Great Escape is one of the great early Blur singles. Uh, sorry, not Charmless Man. Uh, Trav already mentioned yeah. that. I think Country House oh, yeah. is one of the that's all-time great blur singles what were you that's the say? other stand i kind of lost my train of thought oh but i did want to back to park life briefly um tom york apparently on bbc radio one in an interview said that he wished he had written girls and boys oh <laughs> that really? yeah no absolutely i'm really surprised absolutely. i'm yeah. really surprised to hear <laughs> yeah, that that's yeah. <laughs> Does not seem like something he would be into at all. Oh. That's funny. Yeah. I initially hated girls and boys. Same, same. I hated it. I uh, thought it was so obnoxious and dumb. Yeah. And then um gradually, like over time, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. It's, it's kind of cool. It's still obnoxious and dumb. Mm-hmm. But it's like mm-hmm. good obnoxious and dumb. So is Song Two. That's how I feel about Song Two. It's obnoxious oh, and Sung dumb. Song Two is always awesome. Oh, I see. I loved it when I was a kid, and then I thought it was obnoxious and dumb as an adult. And now I'm like, I've merged the two. Like, I like it, mm. and it is a stupid song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I there, there's so much about Blur. I mean, I guess it's fine. We could just keep going and going. But <laughs> good Blur two episode. things about girls and boys. <laughs> well, I, that's fine. We already had our yeah. Oasis episode. Two things about girls and boys. One, uh. How great is Graham Coxon's guitar part? 
on that song. Um, you know, he's doing, as far as I can tell, he's doing the slide with his pick down the guitar on the, and then the, you know, that, Trav, you're looking. A little bit, because the thing that jumped out about me about Girls and Boys is the, the like a synthy lead. Oh yeah, that definitely. that's the best part of the song for me. That made me turn a corner. Uh, I think the, the the electric guitar and the bass are both okay. really okay. awesome. The other thing that I want to know about girls and boys is in 2020, is there, I I'm, I honestly don't know. I'm asking the question. Is there anything transphobic about the mm. lyrics to the chorus? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't, I mean, it's a satirical song. I don't necessarily feel like, I don't know. Um, I feel like there's maybe a little bit of like, shaming over playing with gender roles during sex really? in the chorus maybe girls who like boys who do boys like their girls who I, and I can't I can't accurately yeah, replicate yeah. the whole thing but there's something about doing people like they're people of the opposite oh. sex and yeah no I guess um, my perception was always that it was this very like forward-thinking progressive like genderless sort of song where it was like this is it's kind of yeah. ridiculous that we would even consider uh you know gender in uh in sexual interactions um but i again i haven't really listened to it that closely or taken the song that seriously because it is it's so dumb well and that was absolutely intentional because apparently um the song was inspired by a vacation he took to I think one of those islands in Spain that all the Brits go to to go get drunk and party with uh, Justine Frischman of Elastica. And I think they like heard a Duran Duran song and wanted to make a song like Duran Duran, which I can oh, see the influence they did it. of Duran Duran yeah. on that song for sure. Yeah. yeah. The only other thing that I was going to say is, uh, Quillen, you mentioned song two and how dumb and stupid it is. And how also great it is. And, you know, I think it's fairly well known that Blur considered that to be their parody of American music. Of course, ironically, true irony that American audiences, you know, embraced Blur for the first time because they they loved Blur's mocking mm -hmm. version of American music. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that one of the ways that I first became familiar with that song was because it was in the trailers for Starship Troopers, mm -hmm. the Paul Verhoeven movie with uh you know action heroes blowing up these giant alien insects which i really doubt that the advertising people had any knowledge of but it's it is basically the cinema equivalent of song 2 yeah. it's a movie that tricks you into rooting for a fascist militaristic society and then about 2 thirds of the way through it flips the script and says like you're rooting for nazis and uh I mean, spoiler alert for what a 1997 uh, science fiction movie, but 
Um, both, I think, incredible pieces of late 90s art. It's been a long time since I've seen Starship Troopers. Uh, yeah, I recommend yeah, it. I, yeah, I definitely would like to watch it again. Uh, song two, uh, the drum beat during the verses is awesome. I love the Tom hits after the snare hits. Yeah. Uh, it's a very cool move. And like the, you know, like roomy kind of distorted drum sound. It's, yeah, cool, cool stuff. Well, I guess we should probably move on to pulp. <laughs> pulp. Um, uh, Trav, what did you think of different class? Um, I struggled a little bit <laughs> with uh, with pulp. And I think you and I have talked about common people before. Yeah, I don't. I don't quite know how to put my finger on it. I mean, I recognize that uh I guess common people people is recognized as this uh big single from the era. Um I think that pulp in general is like uh stylish and fashionable in a way that I found very like unappealing. Um I wasn't like offended by it where I was like they were so uh it was just like a fashion band. Um but I, I think Jarvis Cocker was doing this very like breathy, sexy thing a lot that really <laughs> turned me off. And I don't know that that would have been the case 10 years ago, because I do remember listening to like maybe a solo album from like 2006 or seven and thinking it was like, oh, it's pretty cool, you know, but for whatever reason, this time around, it did not hit. And I have no background with pulp at all other than you know hearing common people a few times through the years um it just uh it was really difficult for me to get through the album because i think probably primarily because of his personality and his persona quill yeah my understanding was you didn't get a lot further no i i mean i i listened to the whole album um i did not really care for it um I uh, tried a few, well, I think I tried one other album of theirs. Uh, this is Hardcore, um, which I think I liked a little more. That's from 98. Um, I, uh, you know, in our Sarah Spotify DJing sessions, she's played Pulp Stuff for me before too. And um, she once played for me, Do You Remember the First Time? from his his and hers and that was like an immediate like hit for me i really liked that song um so i think i had started with that album or their 2001 album which i'm forgetting we love life yeah we love life um i so i've spent time with both of those albums and they're both i think leaps and bounds better um than different class um his and hers is like awesome like i i'll swear by that album i think it's um better than all the blur albums um i would say it's the only album that we've talked about tonight that's better than uh what's the story morning glory which i'm very surprised to be saying that and feeling that but um yeah it's uh that album rules 
Um, it's a little bit more manageable, I think, in length, too. I think it's like 41 minutes or something like that. And um, yeah, it's just a little more diverse and, and more outright jams. Um, so yeah, different class did not did not stick for me sorry <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is Sarah, like the the primary sort of like pulp album right like when you think of pulp that's probably the first album you would go to is that is that fair to say like that's their their uh most like identifiable album Different and if class. so like why yeah. why why is that well, his and hers was relatively successful in the UK. Um, I, I and I'm honestly, I think it's just because it was kind of another very British, quirky album in the vein of Park. Like, like I think those one two punch of those albums coming out, um, yeah, just kind of struck a nerve. Um, and I do think some of the songs on there. Are like a little less like his and hers is very guitar driven and like different class is kind of like the musical theater Britpop album, I would say. Like yeah. Jarvis Cocker is very theatrical. Yeah. There's like a undercurrent, like all the songs feel like part of a overall story. And his and hers is a little bit like that. But like different class, it's like very clear. Like it could be a musical mm-hmm. to me in a yeah. lot of ways. I got that yeah. vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made me really curious to check out. Like I'm really excited to hear you say that that his and hers is something that both of you like a little bit more because I I feel like Jarvis Cocker's really compelling. Um, th- this album, I've I've kind of I think of every couple years I've taken it out and I've given it a spin and it's never caught and. Um, I I was trying to figure out what it was. I don't feel like I'm, I was very successful in it. But one thing about this album, Sarah, it's interesting that you say that the other albums are more guitar focused because I felt like I just didn't notice the band on this record. All I noticed was Jarvis Cocker and you know the the backing behind him. Um, but I, it seems like his worldview is pretty interesting to me, and I would like to spend more time in it. The uh, weirdly enough, I don't know how randomly, I guess uh, Emily was listening to this because someone else had been listening to it, but um, he has this comp- this uh, collaboration that he did with a pianist named Chili Gonzalez, who goes by Chili Gonzalez, called Room 29. That's all like, it's just him and piano, and they're singing these little song sketches about things that have happened in a particular hotel room. And that came out like sometime in the last decade, and and I, I really liked it. And uh, let's I, I hope that at least one person will join in with me and just raving about common people. One of the most like one of the best rock and roll lyrics of certainly of the era, if not like ever. I said pretend you got no money. And she just left us and said, oh, you're so funny. I said, yeah. Huh. I can't see anyone else smiling. Are you sure? You want to live like common people. You want to see whatever common people see. Want to sleep with common people. You want to sleep with common people like me. But she didn't understand. Oh, 
I mean, to have someone point out, I know that the song is not necessarily about rock and roll, but to have somebody point out the relationship between class and like being worldly and like rock and roll's obsession with like looking working class, but like often the people who are most successful at coming off as working class, it's because there's so much money behind making them look so perfectly working class. Just the whole charade of that, the idea that rock and roll fans are like common people. Um, I feel like he just like blows this open in such a satisfying way of just the role of money behind everything that we I don't know. I I I I'm not going to be able to articulate it that well. But let no, me I... let me throw out a very feeble sort of reason why it didn't sit well with me this time around so that somebody else can say why it's good and convince me otherwise. Because I'm ready. Like I I want somebody to to convince me that this is like something I should love and celebrate. But it it seemed kind of like self-congratulatory that it was like we're lower class. We're we're hardworking, and there's like a, a very Detroit kind of thing, like the uh, the recent Pistons uh, team, where it's like the go to work Pistons, like we're blue collar, like that sort of thing is like this this celebrated kind of thing, and it's like, yeah, but like, is that like what? I mean, it's fine to take pride in that. That's great, but it almost seems like with common people, like he's going beyond just acknowledging the fact that they're a blue collar band and being like, this is the right way. And if you have money, then you're, you know, you're a tourist and you're kind of, I don't know, unappealing or whatever. I don't know. Again, feeble, uh, uh, um, sort of prosecutorial, uh, example there. (laughs) Well, I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about how this album was recorded after he moved to London. And I would think that what you're getting at, to me, almost feels more like satire. And maybe, because like the scene I'm sure in London was a lot different than, you know, like Northern England, just like pubs and like everyone everyone moves to London to be a rock star. It's the New York of of England, right? So mm-hmm. I think to me I don't know, I thought it was more satirical and clever. Um, yeah, I see it about being sort of like about the careful cultivation of authenticity. And by by cultivating authenticity, that means that we are um you know, we're it it sort of like it all involves this romanticization of like uh oh if you're poor like gosh your emotions must be so much more genuine than mine and like you're you must be so much more just like in touch with the world and like um but it all goes along with the idea that like okay this this version of being poor that you're romanticizing is all Ultimately, it's no more than a role play because if you could see, you know, what it's like to not be able to call your dad when you're in trouble, um, 
you wouldn't want to be like the common people. Um, so I don't see it as really being, I don't see it as taking pride in being working class. I see it as more just kind of like poking at like, why would you feel the need to create this myth about the working class and then place yourself inside it? Wow. Yeah. I had not considered, I guess that it was a satirical sort of perspective. And if that's the case, it's so good at being <laughs> satirical that it, it 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 went over my head. Well, and, and I don't know if that's any better or worse, you know. Mhm. Well, and I think the interesting thing about pulp and maybe a little bit oasis too is like all the people in these bands kind of grew up in the heart of the uh Thatcher economy, which is where the the gulf between like the rich and poor and Britain really grew, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I do think that's reflected in a lot of at least Pulp's direct lyrics, and then in Oasis is like swagger, sort of rejecting the like pretty boy blur, and that gets to the blur Oasis feud, you know, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely get that like post Thatcher, you know kind of uh what uh, what am i trying to get i don't know but yeah i i just get that in some of this pulp yeah. lyricism and storytelling too yeah this is maybe um an example that's been picked over but you know i feel like this is sort of directed towards the person who would buy perfectly distressed jeans Assuming that they will, you know, give you a, uh, make it look like you have a story of struggle. Um, I see it more being about that than about necessarily being like proud of being one of the common people. But I, I guess just to, to maybe start tying things together, we're, we're well over an hour here. Um, Real quick. Yeah. I just want to say about Jervis Cocker, I hate when he is dramatic and making squealing sounds with his voice mm-hmm. and uh um speak you know uh spoken doing spoken word and dramatic uh readings of his lyrics but um when he just is singing normally i think he has a great rock and roll voice i think when he's singing normally he's perfect like really a great singer and a great frontman but i could do without the the drama yeah, sometimes he goes into sort of a like a cat or wall. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that I was going to say, is just to sort of tie things together, is that one thing that I love about Blur and Pulp is that I see them both operating in the tradition of the Kinks, who are a band that we have not talked about at all, but one of the great British bands and who were very much... Um, you know, Ray Davies is an incredible lyricist and their songs were funny and they were satirical and they were very, very often about class in England and songs like Mr. Pleasant and Dead End Street and Shangri-La and um, uh, the entire album, Arthur, are all... Um, she's bought a hat, hat like Princess Marina. I mean, I could go on and on because I, I, I really love the kinks and I don't think we've had a chance to talk about them. But I think that Damon Albarn is really doing his Ray Davies, sometimes a little too obviously. Um, but uh, 
I I love that British tradition, and I mean Oasis could not be further from that that mm-hmm. kind of lyrical tradition. Um, I don't see much relation between Oasis and these other two bands at all. It's like they're in completely different universes. And Oasis, I guess ultimately I'll never love any other Britpop more than I like What's the Story Morning Glory. But if you were to do a comparison of the lyrics, I mean, it just makes Oasis look like such dum-dums that they would never, ever come close to approaching the intelligence that I think you can find in pretty much any Damon Albarn or Jarvis Cocker lyric. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, any overlap that you see between these three bands or just kind of big picture? Anything, any other remarks? No, I think you said it. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like they're they're very different. And, you know, you always hear Oasis versus Blur or whatever, and it's just not. They're They're totally different. Yeah, that was more of a press gimmick. Uh, you know, the, the sort of Oasis versus Blur feud. Although, it I think it was rumored that, like, Damon Alburn and I don't know if it was Noel or Liam Gallagher ran into each other in a bathroom. And I think well, either one of those Gallagher's, like, peed really violently into the urinal <laughs> and got, like, pee on uh, Damon's, like, fancy boots. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That's yeah, great. I mean, um, <laughs> the Oasis versus Blur thing, I, you know, there was a day when Roll With It and Country House came out on the same day. That too. And the and yeah. the, the press loved that. And it was North versus South. It was working class versus art school. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's like they're in different universes. Where does Robbie Williams fit in? <laughs> <laughs> When is, when is the when is the millennium episode? <laughs> Not gonna lie, I kind of love that song. I was impressed. I, you know, I was like, I I kind of checked into that recently, and I was like, I wonder what that song was good because I always thought it was terrible at the time, and I listened to it, and I was like, oh no, actually, that's uh, it's all right. <laughs> and take that, I mean, the strings are what tight. is it? B- yeah, back for good is incredible. Strings strings are a sample from one of the James Bond theme songs, I think. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. so super British. Um, any thoughts on when Britpop ended? Yeah, I think it was... Robbie Williams. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think mostly 1997 is when you get kind of the Britpop bands like Blur going sort of in the American direction. You have Pulp Mm -hmm. kind of going in this like weird sort of dark, um kind of like Burt Bacharach slash David, like David Bowie low era sort of vibe. Like symphonic rock almost. Yeah. Yeah. And then Radiohead, of course, which we're not even talking about because they're not Britpop, but like, okay, Mm -hmm. computer just, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the bird, like urban hymns. Like it's weird because in my mind, I think of it as Britpop, but it's not really, it's more kind of the more expansive, Radiohead era guitar driven rock that's a bit yeah. more um, complex than Oasis. Although, uh, fun fact: cast no shadow on what's the story. Morning Glory is about Richard Ashcroft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple nice of years, to hear that they could just be fans. A couple of years <laughs> after 1997, you were getting into like the band Travis and Coldplay, and it was not the same kind of Britpop. No. Mm-hmm. 
I think they were maybe identified that way in the earliest part of their their um, you know big kind of prominent um, releases, but um, it was definitely not the same. Yeah, I think of Travis and Coldplay as both being in the world that the Bends yeah, made. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. in the high and dry fake plastic trees yeah. mold of yeah. British That's pop music. Great. Those Point, bands yeah. and like, um, right, like Elbow and oh, yeah. um, Doves, right, were like mm-hmm. like post, post Radiohead rock bands right like early snow patrol too yeah 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 well yeah because you kind Uh, of have this wave of um like one thing i was talking to aaron about earlier today is that you kind of had a wave of scottish bands that got really popular at the mm -hmm. end of um like the 90s Uh, i'm trying to think of the ones that i'm well i put bell and sebastian Sebastian. Um, yeah camera obscura yeah 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 yeah, that's I, could camera obscure in the nineties? Maybe maybe early two thousands was when yeah, they they sure. may have had an album in ninety nine, but I'm not yeah. sure. Turned into uh Starbucks rock. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Which is your favorite genre of music, Trev? I don't I don't hate it. <laughs> I uh I haven't listened to The Man Who in a while, but I'm willing to wager it's still pretty damn good. Yeah, I would I always wanted to uh, get into that album in high school and I never I always liked uh, what was the song about rain why, why does, does it always rain, rain on me dude I loved Travis yeah. I waited for two and a half hours at a Newberry Comics in Boston they did an album signing oh, around, cool. and uh, I met them and they were totally delightful and sweet Whoa, and they were good live cool. too yeah Um, okay, well, we did it. Move on to the charts. Yeah. All right. Um, on the mainstream rock chart, our number one is In the Meantime by Space Hog. You've already said a lot of positive things about that one, I think. Give me that bass line. Put it in my veins. Yeah. I love that song. I know we've already talked about it, but fucking great mm-hmm. song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number one on the pop chart is Because You Loved Me. Equally good. Oh, yeah. Love it. Can't, can't love do it. it. You guys are fools. Listen, this is a song written by Diane Warren, who uh-huh. um, was basically um, very prolific in writing great ballads. She, I don't want to miss a thing, right? Absolutely. I believe that was Diane Warren. Absolutely. If you put Diane Warren in Spotify, there is a playlist that lists like an infinite number of hits that are just great, one after another. Uh, don't want to miss a thing. Nothing's going to stop us now because you love me. Unbreak my heart. If I could turn back time, how do I live? 
Um, what else do we got? I mean, it's just it just it's it's three hours. It's forever. Yeah. She's so such an incredible um, songwriter. And this is from a Celine Dion album with a bunch of songs written by uh, Jim Steinman. Really? As well? Oh yeah. Yes, I could see that crossover. Uh, for what's sure. what's what's the big Celine Dion single with the uh, the Titanic? Da, 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 My heart no, will go on. I don't think on. that's Jim Steinman. No, right. no, no, no. I know. Uh, um, when you love me, it was me so like long this, ago. That one. But it's all it's all coming back oh, yes. to me now. Yeah. Great music video, yeah. by the way. Yeah. That's also um, like a six or seven minute song, right? Yeah. It's great. Something. It like sounds that. like a meatloaf yeah. song in a way. Like it does. all the yeah. changes yes. and the yeah. 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 So yeah, she actually absolutely. had a, a co writing credit on one of those songs. I just I just seen it. What was it? Oh my god. I'd lie for you and that's the truth by Meatloaf. <sighs> oh, okay. So, all right. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, I've mentioned before a podcast that people have recommended to it have 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 mixed feelings about it, but um, it is uh 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 it's all about the the charts and it's called um, oh my lord, I listen to it all the time. <laughs> Hit parade, Hit parade. Uh, they have an episode that is all about Jim Steinman and his contributions to the the Billboard charts and to number ones, and it is pretty incredible to hear about his history as it goes through the Meatloaf singles and everything else that came after. Um, definitely worth listening to. Um, anything on the modern rock chart? Yeah, I've got a, quite a few. Um, all right. Uh. Tell me all your thoughts on Pod uh, All Stars Stone Temple Pilots come in at number two with Big Bang Baby from Tiny yeah. Songs, Tiny Music, Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop. Uh, yeah. yeah, if only that were a number one. Um, we don't need to talk anymore about that song, though. Um, in th- I will just say real quick Spotify just told me that uh, my. Oh. Um, the number three artist that I listened to the most this year nice. was Stone Temple Pilots, Whoa. which is maybe mildly embarrassing, but also not. no. Also, people on social media have been really hard shaming people for their Spotify uh, posts, mm-hmm. um, which I guess I understand. But I'll just say, if I love something on Spotify, I buy the album. I go see the artist live, just for the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I want um, receipts. Okay, all right, Quill. What, what yeah. else? What else, Quill? What else is on the modern rock uh, chart? In this week's segment of Jars of Clay, uh, Flood, <laughs> again, here we are, jumping up from number 26 to number 16. that it got that high and I'm curious to see if it continues to climb um, I was intrigued by the Cracker song I Hate My Generation um, at number 17 um, I liked uh, Low 
uh, as a kid and never listened to another Cracker song. And uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, the song sucked. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, Trav, do you have any, uh, uh, like, what are your thoughts on, on this song? I, I've never heard it. Oh, no kidding. Okay. I didn't check it out in advance or anything either. Okay. Um, I just wondered. Yeah, I never heard anything be- after Kerosene Hat. Okay. I just, because of your Camper Van Beethoven love, yeah. I wondered yeah. how um, deep you. Yeah, Cracker doesn't sit quite right with me the way hmm. that Camper yeah. Van Beethoven yeah. does. Yeah. The song Follow Me has always, uh, I've always been a big fan of that one. By Uncle Cracker? <laughs> oh, right. Those are good. Nice. Yeah, oh, oh, that's right. Nice. Yeah, that's right. Different, <laughs> different Cracker. Um, the Verve Pipe makes an uh, appearance with Photograph. Yeah, that's uh, got, that's a, a, um, it's got cool sounds in it. It does. I, I don't know if it's Mellotron or, it's probably not Mellotron, but the, the keyboard sound is very cool. The, the, yeah. the rhythm section's very cool on that song. Yeah, I didn't remember it having so much swing to it. I always thought it was very straight. Um mm-hmm. So I yeah, hearing the swing to it was pretty cool. It's a pretty decent song. Um, it uh, my brother-in-law and his brother were like Verve Pipe like super fans. Yeah, always like would go to see them all the time in Grand Rapids and Lansing. Um, and so they tried to push them on me. Um, when I was young and Villains, uh, the album. I couldn't entirely get into. I I did like the freshman when I was a kid, um, but the title track "Villains" is awesome. Um, hmm. I really like that song. We um, we will have a full Verve Pipe episode. Yeah, this season. yeah, yep. yeah. What will yep. we? Yeah. Yes, we yep. will. Yep. Whoa. Okay. Yep. Um, we'll be uh smoking the Verve Pipe. We yeah. will. Photograph. I remember I, cup cup of tea being a big single. Maybe the first cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I liked it. Was big the first. single. Okay. Was yeah. the first single, yes. Or Photograph, think- uh, b- before before we forget about it, we need to put it on the verses better than the chorus playlist because those verses are awesome, but the chorus is, I'm in the photograph, over and over again. And yeah. it's, not, it's not a good chorus. The sound, mm. too, like, yeah, it, it, I agree. I'm in the photograph. not remember that song at all like i listened to it and i'm i just was not familiar to me at all yeah all i know about the verb pipe is i hate them because they always got confused with the verb yeah right yeah yeah um the only other uh songs i i wanted to draw attention to were just that we have two um future number ones um showing up on the chart uh mother mother by tracy bonham at mm-hmm. number 37 and Counting Blue Cars, our um, podcast namesake uh, mm-hmm. by Dishwalla at number 39. Um, I don't, we'll be talking about those songs in the future. So yeah, wanna... yeah, not, not long from now. 
Anything stick out to you, Sarah? Well, I think I mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago. I, I was amused to see Champagne Supernova, um, Big Bang Baby, and Big Me. Because all of those songs, to me, sound very British. You have Champagne Supernova, and then you have, like, two very, like, kinksy, psychedelic yeah, influence songs mm-hmm. in the other spots. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. They should have named it Big Champagne Supernova, and you could add a trifecta of big songs. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, should we rate Champagne Supernova? Yeah. All right. Who's going to get us started? I'll start. I'll do it. Oh, go. You go, Trev. That's fine. Okay, here I go. Uh, Champagne Supernova got that sweet lick. I'm going to give it four units of leisure. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I'm going to give it... Um... Oh, shoot. I got to find my... Yeah. I'm going to give it 4.25 Dreamer's Dreams. All right. Uh, I'm going to give it four We Were Getting Highs. Sarah, your your rating is legally binding. All right. This- For me, Champagne Supernova, it is a 4.5 Liam Gallagher's Flipping the Birds. All right. I think that averages out perfectly to a Hall of Famer. Uh, shoot. Did we say 4.25 and up? Yeah. Uh-oh. This is exactly a 4.25, isn't it? No. 4.19. Okay, wait. So I said a four. Trav said four, right? I said 4.25. You said 4.25. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. We would need another 2.5. Okay, so it's like a four point nine. It's a like a four point one nine when all you need is a four point two five. Yeah. Oh, that kind of bums me out. I I was excited when I heard the fours it's, from you guys. I was like, oh. It's slowly walking down the Hall of Fame faster than a cannon yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, is this a Nirvana wannabe? No. No. Nope. No. All right. Well, tell me all your thoughts on Pod as part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, Best Song Ever. The best, most fun way for us to communicate with all of you is via our Facebook group, Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. However, we still love receiving your emails at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. Next week, we'll be talking about a song I quote often when the old ball and chain starts nagging me about that Paris trip I promised her years ago. And it really gets her dander up when I answer by quoting the chorus of this song. And she says, that's not how it goes. You never took me to Paris. I want a divorce. And I says, if you go, you ain't taking half of nothing. And she starts chasing me around with a rolling pin and her hair in curlers. And I says, hey, remember what the cranberries said in 1996? And she says, no, you always get the lyrics wrong. But if you ask me, it's not worth it to pack our bags, buy some pricey plane ticket, stay in some fancy hotel, and eat some stinky cheese by the Eiffel Tower. 
There are plenty of things to do around the neighborhood. Dolores O'Riordan always said, Staycation? Staycation? <laughs> Staycation is free. What? <laughs> <laughs> what a... <laughs> wow. What a <laughs> he went for it, Al. <laughs> uh, bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>